Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight webinar. We got a great one for you tonight. My name is Andrew Krauss. I'm over there on the left in the dark jacket. And I co-founded InventRight with Stephen over there to the left of me 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. We've been coaching and mentoring inventors for the last 20 plus years. We've had students in over 65 countries. And uh, during this COVID crisis, we're doing this series um, with just really fun, successful inventors. And tonight, we're going to have Rob Angel on, and he is the inventor of Pictionary. Now, Stephen has read his book, and he knows him. And so Stephen probably doing most of this interview, but we're going to have a lot of fun with it. I want to remind everybody that you can type questions to Rob during the webinar, because at the end, it's kind of too late, and we'll get to the ones that are in there. So in the Go to webinar control panel. There's a questions box. You can type your questions there. So feel free to type them in. We probably won't be able to get to all of them, but I'm sure Rob's willing to do some Q&A. And it's just going to be fun and casual. I know this is kind of like the equivalent of a Friday night because tomorrow is a, a national holiday for Fourth of July weekend. But I think it'll. You guys will really enjoy it. It's a very interesting story. So Stephen, why don't I let you introduce uh, Rob? Well, thank you very much, Andrew. Yes, tonight is a very special night because it brings me back to a time. Um, and we're going to talk about that time uh, when Pictionary was exploding. And it was actually the, the time my career started, too. But, but before we get there, I, I just want to say that um, I saw this book come out on the Internet. And I don't know who was talking about it, but I, I saw it and I was really interested in it. I thought, you know, this is really interesting title. I love the game Game Changer. And it was Rob Angel, the creator of Pictionary. And I saw it and I thought, you know, this is fascinating because I don't know the complete history. I know a lot of what I've read. I followed it. It was back in the mid-80s, I think mid-80s. And I was there at the same time. But to really get the background is what I wanted. And I have to say... Rob delivered, all right, and um, I just want to introduce, I'm very honored to have Rob Angel here, the creator of Pictionary. Rob, thank you very much for coming on tonight. I appreciate it, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Andrew, you know what's amazing about this book is I started reading it, and I quickly had to, to go to this section about Worlds of Wonder, <laughs> because I had interviewed Rob earlier, um, earlier in the day and they talked a little bit, of, we talked a little bit about Worlds of Wonder and he said, it's in the book. And I was like, what do you mean it's in the book? And mm -hmm. Rob, first of all, the book is fantastic. I'm going to recommend anybody that really wants to have a good fun read. It's exciting. It's a page turner. Please pick up the book. I highly recommend it. I had a blast reading it. I know you will too. So Rob, I have a million questions. All right. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. You sold 38 million picture, games of Pictionary. Is that correct? That is correct. In the 17 years that I owned it, yep. Okay. And how many countries? We were in uh, 60 countries, 45 languages. We had 11 different versions just in the United States. So add on to more countries. There was quite a few different versions. Now, you weren't from the game industry, were you? No, I was a waiter. So I had absolutely no skills in uh, inventing a game, creating a game, marketing a game, 
producing a game. Uh, so it was all learned on the job. Just one, just one minute, you guys. One minute. I was going to make the joke, Rob, that that maybe we can just draw some pictures, and you have to guess what our questions are for you. It's a bad, it's a bad joke. I, it's a, well, it's a bad joke because um, I've got to be honest with you, Mr. Picture is terrible at his own game. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I had to run for I had to run for a minute because there was this noise that was just distracting me. So, anyways, um, so Rob, well, you so said Stephen Rob was just saying he's not that good at his own game. I don't. I don't. I don't think I could do Pictionary very well either. <laughs> well, he keeps on saying that in the book that he's, he doesn't draw very well, but uh -huh. there's so much fun with it. And the point yeah. of Pictionary was no matter if you win or you lose, it's fun. There's right. all this. It, it builds um, community, kind of. I guess I've, it's great for families. Great for fun. If you lose, you're still fun with it. So, but Rob. You didn't know what you were doing. You were uh, a waiter. Yeah. You think you have a good idea. You're not quite sure. You're testing it a little bit with your friends and with your mom, and and you're not quite sure. Was there one one particular time where you knew you had something really, really big? Yeah. You, you have those moments where they're kind of out of sequence or out out of character. Instead of just having a game. People started coming up to me in exactly what you just said, telling me about the stories of when they were playing Pictionary. That wasn't my intention. My intention was to create a fun game. And then all of a sudden, people are buying it and they're playing it for a completely different reason. And so when these stories started coming, I thought, okay, this is something different. This is something special. And that's when I started thinking about Pictionary more than just a game. It was, it was a bigger deal than just playing Looking back, not having a background in the in the game industry, and you wanted to do something very different. You wanted the package to look different. You wanted the board looking different. You wanted everything different. Was that a was that a positive? You think that was a good thing that you you didn't come from the industry because you 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 weren't confined by what was traditional? Oh, of course. Uh, as I like to joke, I didn't break the rules. Because I didn't know what the rules were. I forgot to ask the questions. It was, we just did what felt right. It was intuition that was guiding us because we didn't have complete knowledge. I didn't know how to sell a game. I couldn't go online and say, here's what you do to sell a game. Here's what you do to sell a product. So I just did what felt right rather than be constrained by the norms of the day. And the norms of the day, they were toy stores and big box stores. That was it. Well, that didn't work for what we were trying to accomplish because we couldn't access those. So we had to figure out a completely new business model, a completely new way of selling Pictionary into different kinds of stores. Rob, do you think being limited with knowledge and being limited, even with your funds, it, 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 it took more creativity? You were more, you were more creative because you had to be. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. Was it, uh, mother of invention you know creativity is is not knowing what the heck to do and so to be creative is just to put together different things that weren't there before so we were selling to different places that never sold a game before 
But what that did is it wound up people that had never seen Pictionary were now seeing it in places that they normally would and they were more interested. And so our creativity is what got us going. And it's not just creativity as far as inventing the game and making it look like it did. We had to be creative on our business model. We had to be creative on financing model. Everything we did was a new form of creativity every day, every day. All right. Uh, Rob, how important was it for you to trust your instincts, your your gut? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm chuckling because it was 95% of it. And, <laughs> and I call it imperfect knowledge. If we waited around to get all the uh, all the criteria to how to sell a game, how to produce a game. We never would have started. So instincts, it's that, that gut feeling that overrides your brain. Your brain will tell you, you've got to do this, this, and this. Well, if you listen to your brain, you'll never get it done, or you'll do it like everybody else tells you to do it. So my instinct, my gut told me. And so if I go left and I go into this store, and it didn't feel right, I would just turn around and walk out. I mean, seriously. Okay. So everything was about gut feeling, instincts, and the visceral, visceral reaction of how I felt about a decision. Now, you, you had a team. You built a team because you, you thought you it was a good idea. You, you picked some wonderful people. How did you know that they, that was going to work out? Did you trust your gut again, or was there some was there a telltale sign when you knew you had a good partner, a potentially good partner? Uh, for me, partners were key. I like to say I'm the smartest guy you know because I know I'm not. I know my skill set. I embrace my skill set, which is marketing and sales, but I'm not really great at running a company. So I acknowledged my shortcomings. So my two partners, one was a graphic artist, and one was the financial end, the business end. But there was three criteria to finding the right partners. One, they had to have the skill set to complement it, not mine. That's why I needed a graphic artist and the business partner, so they could fill in the blanks. Those are actually easier to find. Nowadays, you can find these parts. Uh, and two, they had to share my vision and my excitement for Pictionary. It's not just a game. It's not just a product. It, it was my life. And so they've got to be excited about the product. You have to find somebody who gets excited and is there with you every step of the way. And three, the intangible, your instincts. They have to share your, your, your values. They have to be good guys for me. They had to have my back. They had to be stand-up guys. And quite frankly, I wanted to go to dinner with, dinner with them two or three nights a week. You're going to be working in close quarters with these people. You've got to like them. And that's the intangible. And it doesn't sound very uh, uh, clinical, but it, that was the deciding factor on my, getting my two partners. Okay. Rob, let's talk about the money for just a minute. Is it good to chase dollars? Is it good to, to make decisions on, on how much money you're going to make? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a personal choice, but for me, the answer is a, a resounding no. If I chased the money, then I would have made different decisions. My intention for Pictionary was to create a game that people would like and enjoy as much as I did. That was it. Was it to make a million bucks? It wasn't to take on the game industry. It was simply to keep a great product. And 
because of that, the decisions I made throughout the history of Pictionary were based on that and they were the right decisions. Because if you're making your decision based on money, you're going to price your product differently. You're going to do licensing deals that are different. You're going to do all these things that aren't going to serve your product. And so I did not chase the money ever. Okay. We're going to get to that in just a minute because some of the decisions I want to talk about that you made. But I, I also want to, you you, you have a, a saying that you kept on saying yourself about if you take care of Pictionary, Pictionary will? Take care of me. It, it, it was our, our uh, uh, what do they call it in Star Trek? The prime directive. Mm -hmm. So our prime directive was if we take care of Pictionary, it will take care of us. Because nobody is going to love and respect Pictionary as much as we did. And so we had to take care of it. We treated it like a person, really. And as long as we did that, uh, the money would come, the accolades would come, the sales would come, and we never, ever, ever deviated from that principle. And that was what made us a, made us a long-term success. Without question. I love it. Okay, let's talk about some of the deals that came by your desk or, or some of the, some of the deals with some of these companies because you were dealing with the the mid eighty the mid eighties and let's talk about worlds of wonder for a minute. Okay, I can't. <laughs> I love talking about worlds of wonder. I, I know you do, and it's in the book, and it's you guys. Uh, that part alone was I was I was fascinated by it because I was there. And I know the players that was in the room with Robin and his team, and they weren't, they were, um, it yeah. was all business, wasn't it, Robin? Say it again? It was all business, wasn't it? For them. And that didn't work for you, did it? No, we get right back to my point a few minutes ago uh, about I wasn't chasing the money. They, they asked an interesting question. Donald Kingsborough, the president and CEO of Worlds of Wonder. So here I am. I'm about 25 years old, and I'm making $300 a month, excuse me, $500 a month. I'm driving a beat-up car, and I go into this meeting with this guy, and he is dressed like nobody's ever seen. And he's behind the big desk, and I'm sitting there, you know, squirming with my partner, trying to figure out what's going on. And he looked at us and he asked a question that changed everything. And the question was, do you want a game company or do you want to make money? I was, I was kind of taken aback because I thought that we're the same. I'm a game company, I'll make money. And he looks at us and I'm honestly shaking my boots. I'm terrified at this point. I, I have no idea what's happening. And I said, I want a game company. Well, that was that's what I thought I was supposed to say. He goes, no, you don't. You want to make money. Okay, how do we do that? Well, he told us about licensing. So they were going to pay for everything, manufacturing, distribution, inventory, everything, and pay us a royalty. Okay, tell us a little more. Then his next comment was big. He said, it's not what you make. It's what you keep. Oh, wow, wait a minute. If we license... He can do all that. We can make money. We don't have to have overhead. We don't have to have a lot of employees. This resonated 
really well. I mean, this was a turning point in my decision making and what I wanted to do with the product, right? So we didn't come to terms with them, but it got me thinking about the future of Pictionary and what we could do with it. Keep in mind, we never, ever, ever gave up control of Pictionary. So just because we licensed or did a deal, it was always about keeping Pictionary, Pictionary. We never gave up that control. Yeah, I want to talk a lot about that. We'll get there in a minute because knowing what I know, you were asking for a, a lot and a lot, of a lot of people weren't happy with that one clause that you wouldn't, because Rob, they, they wanted to pay your royalty, but they wanted to make the creative decisions. Why didn't that, why didn't that work for you? Well, it, you know, like I just said a couple of seconds ago, it didn't work for me because everybody else had their best interests at heart. They had their ego involved. Somebody would want to change the packaging because then they could put their stamp on it. Somebody want to take the pencils out and make it so they could save five or six cents. So now the accountant all of a sudden, he's got his fingers in there and the package just gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And we knew early on and felt early on, we had to control that. And so any deal that came across our desk for 17 years, we never gave up control, particularly of the packaging. That was key to our success. We knew it. And so when, you, when you're faced with the decision of money, or what you know to be true to your vision, stick with your vision. Because when you do, the money will come. It's really tempting to do that. It was, what was it that uh, Mark Zuckerberg was offered a billion dollars for Facebook early on? And his mentor said, no, you can't do it. This is your one shot. Don't go for the money. Keep building your brand. Keep building your business. And he did. And clearly, this is what happened. It, it turned out pretty well for him. Yeah. So don't give up on your vision. There's decisions to be made. Hold firm with that, and you'll end up going down the right path. So you went back and forth. You're negotiating with the Worlds of Wonder. They offer you. What, what's the royalty rate they offered? <laughs> well, even even we knew it was just, uh, it was three and a half percent. We got them to five, but back then that was kind of the standard royalty rate. But we had proven picture. I mean, we had sold. Quite a few games in Seattle, so we felt we deserved more, and they weren't willing to budge. Smart. That was very smart. So now let's talk about the next big deal, because I know this group that's listening tonight really loves the licensing model. They like the negotiations. What do you bend on? What don't you bend on? And we're going to talk about that. Sure. Let's talk about the next big deal. What 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 was the next big company that came your way? The next company up was Milton Bradley the biggest game company in the world. And we learned a little bit from this meeting with Worlds of Wonder. So while we didn't know what we were doing most of the time, we were good students, we paid attention. And that's, that's one of the keys to following your instincts, right? When you're following your instincts, you're just paying attention to how you feel. But when you're looking and talking to other people and their truths and who they are, pay attention to that too. You can learn, and that's what we did. So this whole negotiation with Worlds of Wonder changed our thinking. Mm -hmm. We have something that people want. It wasn't just a game anymore. This is Milton Bradley. So 
they came after us. We go into their office, and as we walk into the office, this guy shakes out his hand, puts out his hand to shake our hand. Also, we have this whack on the table. We look, what's that? And on the table is this package that we weren't really sure what it was. We think Pictionary's name was on it, and it had swirls. And we go, what's this? And the marketing guy very proudly says, you know, this is what we're going to do for Pictionary. We're going to change the packaging, change some of the change some of the words, and we're going to sell a million of these. Uh, okay, no, you're not. And that was solidified. Nobody's going to love Pictionary as much as we do. So they're the biggest game company in the world for a reason. They're good. So we got past the art chart, as we call it, and we got down to substantive discussions. And they agreed in this meeting to everything, marketing spend, guarantees, even they wouldn't muck with the packaging without our approval. Contract comes. It's not there. And you, you have these moments. This is that moment I'll never forget. We get the contract, and it's got the biggest royalty rate they've ever given an independent game company. Huge. You look at that, they're giving us a spend, everything, except the one sentence wasn't in, they wouldn't touch the packaging without a written approval. So instead of getting the lawyers involved, we literally picked up the phone and called them. And we're sitting around this table, and there's my two partners and myself, and we get on the speakerphone, yes, speakerphone, and I we called the guy. We said, hey, thanks for everything except where's the guarantee for the packaging? It's quiet on the other line. All of a sudden we hear, Wilma and Bradley, you're going to have to trust us. Oh, no. The only two guys I trust are sitting in the room with me. I don't trust you. How can we trust you if you won't agree in writing what you agreed to in principle? And here I am, 26 years old. All I have to do is sign that piece of paper, and I'm a millionaire. That's all I have to do. I didn't sign it. My partners and I were in complete agreement. We did not sign it. It wasn't in our best interest. More importantly, it wasn't in Pictionary's best interest. And so we were will willing to go back, and I was willing to go back, to waiting tables rather than sign this deal. It just wasn't our vision. They didn't have our best interest. So didn't now, sign it. Now, wait a minute. Seriously, you have the chance of a lifetime, the biggest company on the planet that that, that does the games. They've got the great distribution, the highest royalty, and you walk. Yes. And and my partners agreed. And OK, let's say there was like an hour of what have we done? There's no plan B. We're still slogging it out. Competition is heating up. Other games are coming on the marketplace. We ran the risk of failure, complete and other burnout. But if we knew by sticking to our guns, uh, you know what? We didn't know anything. We felt by sticking to our guns that it would all work out. And if it didn't, quite frankly, I felt good about the decision. It was, it was the right decision. And one thing leads to another. And three weeks later, unbeknownst to us, there was another joint venture for me and another company came to us. It didn't even exist three weeks prior. And they gave us everything we wanted, including not touching our packaging without our approval. And that's the deal we signed. Bigger royalty rate, all the guarantees, 
and they were just a bunch of entrepreneurs as well. And so we got it in bed with the right people at the right time. Wow. Did you have second thoughts at all when you walked at first? Do you think that phone was going to ring? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. We, we've got quite a ways down the road with Milton Bradley. And so when we hung up on them, we couldn't go back because of weak negotiating position. We expected them to call and have more talks. They never called. They never called. But that was, but that was okay. We had already gone down another road. We were slogging it out. We produced 20,000 games by now. And we just kept going. And hopefully we'd get a break and we got a big break. Let's switch gears for just a minute. Thank you, Rob. I, everyone, reading the play-by-play -play in the book is really interesting. Um, Try I living. That, that alone was fascinating. Rob, let's talk about protection for just a minute, okay? Uh, because everybody's really concerned. They're concerned uh, someone's going to steal my idea. Um, and I'm sure you were concerned at one time, too. You, you write about it in the book, and I love how you guys tackled that. Um, so, But let's start at the very beginning. Did you trademark the name Pictionary? Yes. We trademarked Pictionary and copyrighted the rules. We okay. didn't feel it was necessary or even feasible to get a trade, excuse me, a patent. Okay. So you have those two forms of protection, but you realize once this thing gets real popular, the, the, the copycats are coming, aren't they? Uh, they're coming and they're coming hard. There was 57 different knockoffs by the time we sold. But the thing is, the reason they were knocking us off is because we were popular. So we were the first to the marketplace. We were the biggest, the best, the fastest. And that's when they started coming after us, not just because we were selling out of Seattle. So when, by the time they got in, it was too late, except one of the most terrifying moments, not turning down Milton Bradley, was when Milton, excuse me, when Milton Bradley actually came out with Win, Lose, or Draw, the TV show. That was, to me, scarier than anything. I thought, even though we'd sold three million games in the United States, I thought they were going to clean our clock. We had half-hour TV commercials, star power, and I was terrified. And ultimately, what happened was they solidified the drawing category. And people thought that we were... Them. So people would say, oh, when there's a drop, must be picturing. Our sales didn't go down. They went up. <laughs> Interesting. And then what the marketing team did was brilliant. We had a commercial. We put it on either end of when there's a drop. And so when the show was over, before the show, you'd see an ad for a Pictionary. And so that just solidified our place in the market. When the show went off the air, their game went off the shelves in about three years. And we were the last man standing. Mm -hmm. Now you put a certain graphic on your box too, because it was a uh, paper charades, a, a paper game charades. Yeah. What did you put? What was the what was the saying on the box that that you yeah, put on there? We were the, the, the original charades on paper game. Got so it. we had these stickers, these gold stickers, millions of them made up, and they were slapped on every box 
just to remind the public that we were the original and the first, but it was being proactive. We couldn't just sit back and hope the knockoffs wouldn't work. We thought they might, so we had to be proactive in what we were doing. And there were three products of those 57, excuse me, four, one in Spain, three in the U.S. that we went after. Because of the trademark, if you use the word Pictionary or Pick, then we went after There's three small independent game companies, mm-hmm. Picture A's, Picture This, and Pick. Mm-hmm. And so we did send them letters and they quit. And so, but everybody else, we couldn't do anything about them. Rob, how important do you think your dedication and your team's dedication was to the success of this product? Uh, and I'm trying not to give the, the obvious answer because. I mean, it would have done great by itself. It probably would have had a, a good life. No, 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 it would have been, it wouldn't have been a success without us. That I know 100% that we were the perfect team to take this game to where it went. We were all in and we did whatever was necessary to make it work. We learned whatever was necessary to make it work. We were fearless to make this thing work. Well, wait, now, wait a minute. You, you could have just walked away, gone on a vacation, bought a fancy car, and let your let your licensee do all the work, but you didn't. Why? Because our financial futures were wrapped up in their efforts. So if they stumble, we're in trouble. So we made sure that they did what they were supposed to do. The other part of the equation was they only took the board game rights. So we still own everything else, television, merchandising, uh, confectionery, everything. So we still own a lot of the product that we could uh, market ourselves and and try to uh, generate some income. But we weren't ever going to let them walk away with our product without our without approval, without our input, never. You know, there, there's a really important lesson. I know everybody's listening tonight because we do talk a little bit about it. When you do license a product, it's it's not time to walk away. It's time to work harder, isn't it, Rob? We, yeah, we, it, it was, once we licensed, we definitely worked harder from, Conception to licensing was about a little less than two years. Now, we have this huge product. We've got this big royalty, but there's a lot of runway left. And if you walk away from what you know about your product, it's a huge risk. We put in every contract we ever signed the controls so that we were able to manage them and manage the product. If you walk away, if you collect your royalties, Almost always, it's going to fail at some point. We were told over and over again by executives throughout the world that if we had walked away in 1987, six U.S., 87 in Europe, Pictionary would not be on the store shelves. Never, ever would have done the business that it did without our direct, full-on approval and our full-on work for for all of it, all of it. Andrew, I think that's a really good lesson, Rob, and I'm really glad you're here tonight to to, to point that out to everybody. And um, 
So congratulations on everything. You earned it. Ross, yes, a couple more questions, then I want to open it up. One of the Why things, write the book now? Right. One of the things about that is, is that we knew where our money was coming from. Even though I said we didn't make decisions based on money, there is a point in a business life where you do start making some decisions based on money. We didn't sign the contract because of the money with Milton Bradley. But, but as time went on, we, we didn't have anything else. We focused on Pictionary. We didn't have Shiny Pretty. We didn't say, okay, let's invent another game. Let that one go do its thing. Let's do a serial startup, a serial game inventor. This was working. This was making money, and it had a lot of upside. So we didn't walk away, not because we were all worried about our brand. It was because there was money to be made. We had to protect it. That's where our focus lies. That's where we had to keep moving forward. And at some point when that didn't happen, if the money wasn't coming in or the, the business wasn't coming in, we can make a decision then. But if it's working, if your business is working, if your licensing is working, if your product's working, don't turn away from it. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, that's good advice. So, Rob, this book is fantastic. Why do you decide to write a book now? Because the books aren't easy to write. <laughs> uh, no, they're not, as I found out. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's a, like anything, it's a process. Writing a book is a process. Writing a game is a process. It, it was time. I had uh, uh, sold a Pictionary in 2001, and I'd taken about 15 years to, to live a life that I wanted to lead. And then the more I started thinking about Pictionary, the more I told the story, I just wanted to get the story out to inspire people, to show people a blueprint, to show that a waiter from Seattle, Washington, mm-hmm. could make something very very big and very spectacular. And so it was time to put the book out and to share. And that's why I'm, I'm talking here to, to some of the things I did wrong to share those stories and to uh, help others. Well, I'm really glad you decided to write it because it, it was really a fun read. And um, what a great story. So Thanks. Andrew, let's do this. Let's open it up for questions. I know we, we, we always wait too late and we never get to the questions. Um, yeah. We got some great ones in here. I just got a quick question for you, Rob. I mean, um, were you were you I, the 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 game was obviously famous. Were you famous too? Or you got any fun stories there? I mean, here it's they're playing Pictionary and Jimmy Fallon. It has such a long life. Um, do you have just maybe one interesting story, or maybe just a broad overview of something fun you did because you were the inventor of Pictionary. Oh, I I tend to just enjoy life. I, re, I remember this one time uh, a few years back, there was an actor on a TV show that I was very excited to meet. It was the same event, and I'm getting excited. I'm nervous. Like, this is a guy that, that I've watched on television for years. So I walk over to him. Hi, I'm, I'm Rob Angel. And, oh, nice to meet you. And what do you do, Rob? Well, I invented a picture. The guy goes crazy. You remember the picture? He goes, wait here, wait here. He runs off. He comes back with his wife and his daughter. He starts showing me videos of him playing picture with his family. They're looking for my autograph. They want pictures with me. It was surreal. I was a rock star, and here I'm thinking I'm talking to the rock star. 
it was it was a turnabout that just blew me away. Wow, that's a fun story. Yeah, it's it was part of people's lives, their family lives, or their lives with their friends, or what have you, and it still is that's, today. Everybody's got a Pictionary story. It's that it's the reason is Pictionary is an event. It's not a game, right? Everybody can play, no matter what age, learning level, reading level. Everybody can play, and it uses all your senses. It uses you know, your touch, your smell, your, your drawing, and it's this communal thing. It's like going to a concert. You're going to a concert, and the noise and everything else, and you have this shared experience, and that's what every game of Pictionary, every word of Pictionary is all about, and that's why it resonates, and that's why it sticks, and those moments stick, and it's a feeling. Rarely to go, hey, you know, I had this great game of Trivial Pursuit last week, but you have this feeling with Pictionary, and that's why it resonates and still does. Cool. So we got a whole bunch of great questions here. Um, Steven, you wanted to jump into questions now? Yeah, let's do that because we're okay. always a little late. So let's, let's jump in a little. Yeah. Okay. Um, this one's from Lewis. Kind of fun. You're the right person to ask here, Rob. Um, how did you divide the colors in this game? Uh, I've never been asked that question. I, I figured that, so, so I oh. thought it was an interesting question. I, 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 let's see, how did we, oh, okay, I think about that. Uh, Trivial Pursuit had colors, right? That was my aha moment. I'd, I'd come up with Pictionary, I knew I wanted to do it, I couldn't get started, I couldn't figure it out, and I see this Trivial Pursuit card. And I go, oh, I'll put words on cards that's what I'm going to do it. And the more I looked at it, I realized they had six colors. They had six questions per color. I think, okay, I'm going to have six. But as I started doing the word list, I realized I didn't know what categories I was going to have. So let the words dictate the categories. And they started forming patterns and whatnot. And I did about 5,000 words, and they formed those five categories. And then my graphic artist partner. The one that came up with the colors and the board design and everything else. Cool. Um, Russ says, how many mistakes did you make? That's an awfully broad question. How much time did it hurt your progress and how did you recover? Wow, that's a deep question. <laughs> Are you going to say he has to get the book to find out? <laughs> you have to get the book to find out. Um, yeah, well, how many mistakes did you make? How much did it hurt your progress? And how did you recover? Good, good question of somebody that has been successful of something. Um, uh, well, okay, let's let's do an do an example. But ultimately, even if we made a bad mistake or a bad decision, we never made a decision that was going to sink us or the company. We never made anything so dramatic that if it failed we would fail. We never bet the company on any one thing. Even signing, quite frankly, with Milton Bradley, he wouldn't have signed the company. We would have done okay. But we weren't in the mindset of risking everything. Uh, one of the bigger problems that we had early on was collating the cards. And so you've ever had that, that thing that's happened to you that's devastating. And for us, it was the first thousand games that we produced, we were going to do a uh, thousand games. And that would require 500,000 cards, 500 per game. And they came from the printer six days before our launch. They came unsorted. 
So it'd be like taking 9,552, yes, I've done the math, decks of cards, all those cards, put them in the center of the room, and then have to sort them into playing card decks. And we had six days to do it. So we took eight-foot tables, 170 shoe boxes from Nordstrom, set them around my apartment, and hand-sorted half a million game cards in six days. And what it did, right? You've got this terrible thing. I mean, I was screaming and yelling and didn't quite have the, the wherewithal to stop myself. But what it did, this terrible thing, it proved three things. One, we can get creative over anything we had to do. We had a problem to figure out. We figured it out. Two, my partners and I learned to trust each other. We could figure out that if something went wrong, we had each other's back. That was the biggest takeaway of this whole thing. And we knew we could do anything. So moving forward with Pictionary, this terrible, terrible moment turned into one of the best moments because we, we bonded like never before. And it helped solidify everything for the future. So if you're if something's going bad and going wrong, things are going to go wrong. This isn't like a straight line. So when they go wrong, know they're going to go wrong and know they're going to go right. Don't get too excited either way, and you'll be able to plow through them. You'll be able to walk around them. Really solid advice, huh, Stephen? Yes, uh, absolutely. <clears throat> Aaron says, did Milton Bradley ever create their own version of the game since the concept was public domain? Uh, <laughs> well, let's go back to Worlds of Wonder for a moment. Uh, Milton Bradley are the ones that came out with Win, Loser, Draw. And after we didn't come up with a deal with Worlds of Wonder, they came out with their own product. And it was called Picture Something. I don't remember the name of it, quite frankly. Uh, it, was a, it was a failure because... They tried to market it like a big game company. Milton Bradley had World Win, Loser, Drop and a TV show. I mean, they had that commercial. And so when Worlds of Wonder came out with theirs, it wasn't very successful. And they overspent. didn't do very well. But it was in the public domain, and there's nothing we could do about it. But they kind of shot themselves in the foot. I'll, I'll, I'll be nice and leave it at that. <laughs> okay. No, I was there. No, I was there. He's absolutely right. It failed. From your standpoint, why? I know why. Well, I, I don't think, I think it goes back to doing too much. Um, the company was doing so many different things. Uh, they made a bad decision. I think, um, I think you made a good decision, though. <laughs> so I think that was a, a time where they had a couple really big hits on their hands and their ego was probably a little too much. They were probably trying to do too much and they ended up not being around for long. Right. And right. They, you got to take care of your business and take care of your, your product and take care of your customers. See, I, Andrew, when, when I hear Rob talk about how much he loved, you know, he loves Pictionary, but he loves the people that play it. Mm. And I think that really comes through to take care of the game and take care of those people. Yeah. And I don't think anybody would have done it the same way. Yeah, I, I he didn't want to go super cheap. He didn't want to like not no, include I, pencils and he wanted to I, keep it a certain quality level and he was thinking I, I about his customer, you know. I don't think anybody could have beat this team. 
Looking back, I mean, they had momentum. They, they everything just worked out wonderful. They worked extremely hard, and but they had passion, and they had things that companies just don't have. They don't have a soul, you know. And and that's what I get from the book of, of really having this, you know, having the commitment and the, you know, caring that much about people that play it and the game itself that you weren't going to compromise and you were going to do everything in your power to be successful. And they did. And that's a good lesson for all of us to learn, even myself, that, um, that sometimes you have to say no. And sometimes you have to keep overcoming those problems and having confidence that you can. And, that's why the story for me is a, is a wonderful story. It's a motivating story. It's a story for even for someone like myself that's been in the business for a long time. I got motivated from it. So well, I, I appreciate that. And as, and as you said, the no's are what made us. It wasn't the yeses. We're, we were a success because of the no's we said. We said no to Worlds of Wonder. We said no to Milton Bradley. We said no to J.C. Penney when they wanted to order our entire stock of our second run. <laughs> but, but we said no to them because we didn't know what they were going to do with the games. We needed to get paid. We needed to turn over our inventory. So we said no to them. Our no's were much more profound to our success than our yeses. Andrew, they even said no when they were shipping volume, right? Everybody wanted, they were so hot. Everybody wanted it. The orders were huge. They even pulled back on the orders to keep that demand up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's it hard. wasn't about that's the money. Too, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. There, was, there was some strategy in the shipments for sure. Absolutely. Um, one, thing, one thing you touched on that I'd like to talk about, if we're all inventing, we've all got a product that we're trying to sell or even a business, the, one of the other things that we really learned early on is take your ego out of your decision-making process. That also was a big part of why we were successful. If our ego said, you know, I want to be the richest guy. I want to sell the most games. I want to do this, this, and this. Then it becomes problematic. Even in designing the game, Terry and Gary were my two partners. One was a graphic artist who designed everything. He came up with the board, packaging, everything. And the other guy was the business end. He went... The business guy, Terry, went for a press check. And that's where they basically make sure that they're supposed to be printing as they're supposed to be. Games come. Terry says, everything's fine. Well, Gary looks at it, and all of a sudden, the lettering on Pictionary is not pink like he designed it. It's white. Gary goes crazy. Terry says, I think it looks better, so I changed it unilaterally without your approval. Oh, yeah, God. They're looking at me, and I'm going, hey, dude, you guys work this out. I know where I stand. Let's see where you guys figure it out. Gary's yelling at Terry. Terry says, look, it, it pops. It looks better. Gary's ego. No, it doesn't. I designed this product. I made this happen. You're just this guy. You stop it. Finally, Terry says, Gary, take your ego out of the decision and take a look. Gary took a breath, puts the packaging in front of him, and he looks at it. His design, his life's work is now in his hands, and it's different unilaterally changed looks at it, says you know what it does look better let's keep it white i mean come on he took his ego out of the decision and that was the end of discussion 
We didn't have to look over our shoulders, Gary getting mad again. We didn't have to revisit it. It was like, okay, a decision has been made. And that was so liberating for our partnership, for our creativity, for everything that we ever did. We didn't have to look over our shoulder. If it was a silly idea, okay, fine. But it was about the idea. It was never personal. It was never about our egos. It was never about each other when we got in these arguments, these fights, these discussions. It was always about Pictionary. And that was huge, huge for our momentum. Hmm. Well, here's, an, here's another deep, deep question from Nicholas. <laughs> Do you feel because you had success, which obviously led to your proof of concept, that it became your linchpin to keeping your mental resolve during hard times? Uh, what was your mental go-to? So how did you get through hard times? Is it because you had success? Uh, That's what Nicholas is asking. Thank you, Nicholas, for the question. Um, I it, it goes down to passion, right? Everybody says you got to have passion. And so for me, in the moments where I was standing at the bottom of the escalator at Nordstrom for 16 hours a day trying to get people to buy the game, my passion admittedly faded. It's like, I was tired. I'm standing there and I want to go to bed. I don't want to wake up tomorrow. But what I found was that I was loving what I was doing. I had love for my product, love for my partners, love for all of it. And that's what kept me going. I had to remind myself over and over why I was there. And it was to keep Pictionary going. And there were days where it didn't work, but most days it did. And then I'll be honest with you, and it's in the book, that it all took a toll on me. I mean, we went nonstop for about seven or eight years, a lot of decisions, a lot of things that had to happen. And I crumbled. I won't lie. It got too much for me. And I went into a depression. I didn't know how to handle it. And so I took a leave of absence for the good of the company and the good of my peace of mind. I took a leave for about six months, but I had to do it. I had to know it was right for me and I had great partners that backed it. And when I came back, they were open arms and they took care of me and they took care of everything while I was gone. But had I known then what I know now, I would have done the same thing, but I would have got a better handle on it earlier. And so you have to take care of yourself, right? This, this, I'm working 24-7. Sounds like a really romantic notion, doesn't it? You tell people, I've got a startup, I'm working 24-7. I didn't eat last night because I was at my desk working. I didn't sleep. Don't do it that way. Take time for yourself. If it's meditation, do that. If you want to sit on your couch, watch TV for an hour, do that. Guess what? Your business will be there when you get back. That hour, that two hours, every so often is not going to change anything. Take care of yourself mentally, spiritually, and harmoniously. Just take care of yourself because when you're at your best, your company will be at its best. Hey, Robert, I got a question. Sure. I seem to be an open book. Well, I really like that you are. Um, let's talk about when your dad was laid off. <laughs> let's talk about that impact. Because my dad was laid off about the same time yours was. Interesting. And because that he was working with this company, it was a great company, and he'd been there for a long time, I thought there was stability. Sure. 
And then when it got laid off, it threw my whole world. It threw what I thought out the door, and I changed my thought process. How did it change yours when your dad was laid off? Uh, <laughs> can you hear the beeping? This is this is the age of COVID. I'm in my kitchen, and my dishwasher's beeping at me. Let me uh, let me get that. Well, that's okay. I had a beeping earlier. It was something else too. What's all the beeping tonight? I don't know. But I, I'm so sorry, guys. I don't have anything beeping. I feel left out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all, all I know is I now have clean dishes to have dinner, so I'm, I'm perfectly okay. Um, yeah, when I was uh, in college, my sophomore year, I was going to be my dad. I was going to be a businessman, an executive, because that's what he did, and I wanted to be just like my dad. So my future was all laid out. Gets to college, he gets fired. He gets fired. So everything I know is now upended. Everything I thought that I knew, everything I took for granted, which was including my college being paid for, was now gone. So I had to figure out, one, do I want to stay in college? And two, what am I going to do now? And it came to me pretty quickly that I was never going to let anybody be in control of my future. That that resonated quickly and that resonated very hard. So I was going to do my own thing, be a business, excuse me, be an entrepreneur and take care of myself. And that was the mind switch. So instead of almost flunking out of college, I started getting my act together, started taking entrepreneurial courses. So by the time I graduated, I was ready I was open. I was going to be present to whatever opportunity came along, whatever that was. And that was a huge mindset. Because if, if dad hadn't gotten fired, Pictionary never would have happened. I'm, I'm positive of that. I would have been comfortable. I would have been you know, an executive and hated it. So him getting fired seemed like a really terrible thing. But it's another one of those, thank goodness, because it put me on the path that I was supposed to be on. Thank you, Rob. Well, we we have a lot of thank yous. Um, David uh, David wrote in. I bought your book last night, and he, he said earlier, "Are you giving any spoilers during this webinar?" Um, uh, Miha wrote, "Rob, you interested me. I just bought your book. It'll be great reading for the holiday, the holidays. Thanks." Um, it's it's a fun look. It's there's all spoilers, but it's a fun book. It's a fun read. It's quick. It's easy. And as I say, it's not a how-to book. It's a go-and-do book. It's not you know, if you do this, this, and this, you're going to be successful. How do I know what you're going to have to Rob, do? Yeah, but Robbie, I heard you say that. But I think there's some really big takeaways in this book. Absolutely, there's big takeaways. Just and, talk about Bill Bradley, right? So it's a good read on, on the success. I mean, everyone that's listening tonight, not only is it a story of, of what it takes to, to climb the mountain, but it's always, it, it is a story of, you know, trusting your instincts. You talked about building a good team, when to say no. It, it talked about early how he made decisions, you know, his father, which I think was very impactful. I, I really, you know, it, it touched my my father, what happened to him changed the course of my the outlook that I have, and I think it did yours too. Um, that I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. Okay, um, but I think that the huge takeaway I have is 
you don't follow the money, you follow, you know, what you think is important and you don't waver from that. Um, so there's so many lessons here. I mean, I would love to to write the lessons from this book. I'm, you know, I might write an article on all the lessons I've I've learned from this book. I, what do you think about that, Rob? I love because that's the beauty of the book. When I talk to people, I know what the lessons are. I don't know what the takeaways are going to be from everybody, but mm -hmm. I'm getting something new from the book constantly. So if you want to do that, I'd love it. I'd love to have that conversation. Um, I, Andrew, it, it was, um, like I said earlier, it's a great read, a fun read, an easy read, a yeah. very emotional read. Um, Rob didn't hold back which I really do appreciate. So thank you. I very can much. tell Rob's a very good storyteller and we got a bunch of thank yous. Rob Lewis says, thank you. Um, and he wrote, just trust, just so just trust yourself. I think that's what he learned here. Uh, Mike Miller, Rob, this is such a wonderful and inspiring story. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Um, Nicholas says, and dot, 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 I will buy this book, smiley face. Um, Bob says, love this webinar. Can't wait to read the book. Um, Let's see. Uh, Don, brilliant, no doubt. Thanks again, guys. Jamie, great webinar. Thank you for sharing. Congratulations on all your success. There's just there's too many to to read here. There's a ton of them. Um, let's see. Yeah. So so th thank you so much for coming on. You're a good storyteller, you know. Uh, but maybe that's not so surprising because that's what Pictionary's kind of about. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I like talking clearly. And yeah, it's, a, it's all about stories. That's the best way to convey whatever it is you're trying to get across. And Pictionary is a giant story. The, the gameplay is a great story. And so uh, I like talking. I like sharing. and appreciate everybody listening. Yeah. Well, Stephen, you want to say anything in closing? No, I just want to tell everybody how much I've enjoyed getting to know Rob and um, reading a little bit about my past and what it takes to be successful. And it's, it's not what you think. I, I think you have to follow your heart, trust your gut, um, make good decisions with people that have your best interest and really work hard. And I think uh, the book... Um, brings that all together. So it's very motivating and uh, highly recommend this book. So thank you very much, Rob. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, Rob. Good night, everybody. Take care. Yeah, Keep it